We got a bunch of new faces around Independent League Baseball, and we're going to go over all of them, plus more, on this week's episode of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. Okay, all right, we are back again, episode number 210 of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. I'm Nick, he's Will, and uh, we got a show for you this week. You know, there'll probably probably be tangents in here. They will probably be college athletic related. And uh, before we get to those, we hopefully will go over like the five different pieces of staffing news we have this week. Um, Depending on how generous you are with staff, I guess possibly even more than that. And also a fine little review on the Pioneer League South Division, the last of all the division recaps reviews whatever you want to call them uh it's the last one of them this week so after that we're gonna have to figure out what we're gonna do with the back half of this show i suppose we could get people on and talk to them but you know that would require scheduling and planning and an initiative on my heart on my part and that just that's a lot of work it is but you know what that's why they pay you the big bucks nick this is unpaid i mean i could start throwing fan duel ads if we want to do that Exactly. Or like a, uh, like, like a SeatGeek code or something? The funny thing is, I looked into the SeatGeek code, too. And really? apparently, you could just kind of log on, go into like their promotional bit, and just create your own code and use that. And then you get a certain amount of dollars every time it gets used. Really? Yeah. So, like, in theory, we could do that. But then I have to figure out how to report that so, kind of income. So, like, any random Joe on the street can do it? If my understanding of it's right, yeah. I mean, like, if you really want to right now, go to the FanDuel promotional site. Uh, and, like, if you wanted to, just make a code like uh, WT20, and you'd get a certain percentage off when you use the code. Now, of course, it's the same thing with every FanDuel ad in existence, which I think everyone, or not FanDuel, uh, SeatGeek ad in existence, uh, which is to say you can only use it on your first purchase of that account, but anyone, you know, that really wants to just kind of skirt that uh, little issue you can just create a new account every time you just need a new email account so i love how we're promoting a code that we don't have i mean yeah it really is counterintuitive but i'm also not making a code so like go for it if you want to do this and eventually mm-hmm. when we do get a code i mean we'll eventually promote it but that will require me doing a bunch of businessy stuff which for quite frankly i just don't want to do not for yeah. any particular reason. It's just that I, I don't want to have to do it. All that has to say is I'm not paid for this show. We'll try to get you interviews. We're actually in the process of booking some. So you'll know when we get them. And with that said, we have staffing news. We should probably get to that because this is still an independent league baseball show. We probably should, yeah. Yeah. So about two weeks ago, we missed a piece of news. So that's where we're going to start off. Just... After going off in my Herculean effort that we spent the last three minutes talking about, uh, I did miss something a couple weeks back. I think it was like March 3rd. So once we got done recording, I guess it would have been 208. There was a bunch of news that had come out. And one of those pieces of news was about Anthony Barone, friend of the show. Had him on episode 191. If you want to go back and listen to that interview, fun interview. Recommended highly. Um... He signed a five-year extension with Milwaukee, expires in 2028. It's going to be his fourth year as manager of the Milkmen. Um, has done a very good job so far. So, like I said, would highly recommend listening to the interview. I would also, you know, just say he's done a very good job. He knows what he's doing. He builds really solid teams. And quite frankly, I think he's taken some teams that had no business being as good as they are and making them a lot better, a lot more competitive than they otherwise would have been. Um, so meant to cover that last week, didn't really, you know, get to it. Cause I just kind of forgot about it, to be honest, cause it was a week in between. And then I saw it, I was like, Oh, gotta make sure I get this for the next one and put it down. So a bit of a uh, older piece of news, but Anthony Barone re-signs five year extension in uh, Milwaukee. Yeah. And of course, a no brainer. I mean, uh, the five years though is definitely more than you, you typically see when, uh, when it comes to, Indie ball managers and contract extensions and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So you, sometimes it seems you literally just go like year by year. 
And yeah. they make like a whole like announcement for each year. Uh, not Milwaukee. So, uh, but I mean, Barone has done an unbelievable job, uh, with Milwaukee and a team that, uh, a team that when he took over, uh, when, when he took over the, the reins had a, was coming off a really rough season, um, and a team that was new and he has really righted the ship and made them a force to be reckoned with. So, um, it's it's a it's a big commitment for for the milkman to make, but I think it's the right guy to kind of make that sort of commitment into. Yeah, I, I definitely would agree with that. The first year under them, uh, our first year of their existence wasn't particularly good. They had a couple of guys do well, but that was just about it. Going into year two was the COVID season. Barome comes in, they win a championship in twenty twenty one slight dip but i mean it still was a solid year and then last year they go to a championship game again if you're getting to a championship game every other year i mean clearly you're doing something right the guy knows how to build teams and whatnot and like you said well five-year extension really isn't that common i think it's kind of become a little bit more common we saw calfa pietra get one not that long ago we saw uh, mike schlack get one not that long ago in missoula too so right. you know every once in a while you do see one obviously with calfa pietra that's a little bit of a different situation i was about to say like those are the like those are like the elite of the elite yeah i mean schlatt was i don't want to say he was fairly new because he did have time in fargo another guy we talked to another friend of the show you can go back and listen to that one too but you know, he was fairly newer in Missoula, so I think it was more like, oh, great, first year. Okay, you're back for another five. But, you know, even still, it, they're not common is really the point. It's normally, like you said, either year to year or like, all right, three years, and then we'll reevaluate for three years. Like, that's just kind of how it goes. And then you have some guys, like uh, one of the ones we'll talk about in a little bit here, that stay there for decades at a time. So, um, it is interesting to see, though. Uh, five-year extension is uh, is still warranted for in this case here, but it's always interesting to see how long uh, these extensions go for. Right, and I mean, yeah, again, you mentioned that, that that group, and I mean, of course, any indie ball team giving out a five-year contract, like, kind of kind of speaks to the job he's done so far. So uh, he's gonna be around for a while, and uh, he deserves to be around for a while, and certainly the commitment that Milwaukee has made to him, a length, a contract length, you don't see. And often an indie ball kind of speaks to the job he's done. Certainly. It certainly has and definitely earned it. But uh, we, we're we going to shift gears to keep the flow going here because we do have a lot of these uh, staffing announcements to get to. The second one is out of the Grand Junction Jackalopes, uh, which you're probably thinking, didn't they just name a manager back in January? Like when we talked to Mick Ritter, he, he kind of was like, oh, yeah, we're going to name a manager fairly soon. And then they did. And it was James Frisbee. Well, they had to replace James Frisbee because he left to join the national staff uh, fairly recently. So now it is, and I'm going to probably butcher this last name. Good luck, brother. Good luck. All right. Uh, it's Chris Nabishu. I'm going to hope that's right because, like, Ben Shu makes sense. It. I just would assume. or Nabishu? Nobinshu, maybe yeah. I think it's probably Nobin. Yeah, that's probably right. We'll go with the the professional announcers' pronunciation. That's probably right. Uh, yeah. So Chris K here is going to take over. Um, he was a pro for eleven years, mostly minor league or entirely minor league ball. I think he reached AAA. Um, he was a scout for the Braves and the Phillies for a little bit. Head coach of Dallas Baptist in the early aughts. And uh, he's looking to hire a pitching coach, too. Uh, not much else to really be said here. It definitely is kind of like a last-minute hire. Season starts in, what, about two months or so? Because uh, end of May, the tryout camp is about a week away, a little under that. So they kind of needed to get a guy in there. Uh, I don't really know what to make of the hiring, but I also can't really be that critical of it. There's already a team kind of put together by frisbee that uh, nabishu gets to kind of uh inherit i guess it's just a really awkward timing and this isn't the first time frisbee's done this either i think he did to lincoln as well uh which kind of opened the door for brett jody to get in there so it's co it's com coming a pattern with him obviously i don't blame him though you got a chat with a major league club you're going to take it but uh it feels like buyer beware when you hire this dude now like 
Major League teams are going to come calling for him. So you got to be kind of aware of that. Yeah, quite the weird, uh, weird timing and um, situation for sure. I mean, like you're never going to blame a guy for, for, you know, when the majors come calling, you, you tend to go. Uh, but I don't know. It seems like, uh, the first of all, Jack has got to mention every time. Amazing name. But I don't know. It's just, it's, you don't see a lot of, there's not a whole lot of coaching experience here. Like, there is, but there isn't. Like, the head coach of Dallas Baptist is nice, but a long time ago, like yeah. 20 years ago. Um, and then most recently working with, like, a high school, like, showcase team. Yeah. Which is not really independently baseball or close to it. Yeah, it's not professional baseball at all. I mean, so... I don't doubt that. I mean, there's baseball knowledge there, certainly working as a scout, absolutely. But at the same time, like, there's not a, and not to say that everyone needs to have like independent league baseball experience, but it's not even like there's experience like coaching something in the minors or, uh, or, or anything else. So uh, again, the timing is weird and you, you're kind of forced to do what you got to do, but, uh, I don't know. It's interesting. Not not an ideal situation for Grand Junction, but probably just making the best of what they could at at this point in in mid March. Exactly. I mean, they kind of got handcuffed on this, uh, like you said, the middle of March. They don't really have the luxury of time anymore to uh, you know have to wait around on this to find the right candidate. They just got to get a guy in there and get going because scouting combine starts the thirtieth of March. So. I was a little bit off on a week or so away. It's more like two weeks away. But even still, it is kind of pressing. I don't know how this kind of changes my expectations for them going into the year, to be honest with you. Because on one hand, the team's already kind of put together, right? But on the flip side, you know, you're bringing a manager in pretty late into the cycle. And a guy that, quite frankly, like, yeah, he has pro experience. So he knows how to be around professional ball players, But... Doesn't really have any professional, you know, coaching experience. Uh, coaching guys that are, you know, on an academic type of team, like a college, like a high school, is significantly different than dealing with professional ball players. Even if, like in the Pioneer League, which is where he is, for example, there are younger guys, more, say, college age guys. It's still a whole different dynamic. So, you know, I, I'm not going to say it's a bad hire or a good hire. It just is a, there's a lot to be seen from this hire. You know, there's not really as much you could really say about it as you may be able to other guys, right? So I kind of view it as like hiring a, a former player without any sort of experience in between. Like how I would judge that is how I'm judging this one, you know, because it's, it's the closest comparable here. It's just, he has some experience being around, you know, professional baseball with that scouting experience and playing experience so we'll see how it works out but i there are question marks certainly yeah question marks for sure and uh again the timing of it is kind of odd so you don't know if they just kind of had to do what they had to do but there's not a lot of uh and not to say everybody's got to be some indie ball because they yeah or even 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 have to having to work at indie ball at all but um, you'd like to yeah, see some do, coaching do, experience on a professional at the, level. At the professional level, you would expect. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we will see. And one guy that uh, they don't have to worry about finding professional experience for one guy that has been at their current job for a while and it's going to probably stay there for a while, is the slate of guys that are up next. And that is the Schomburg Boomers coaching staff. Like I told you, we have a lot of coaching staffs, and we still have more after this one, too, to get to. Uh, they announced their returning slate of coaches. Jamie Bennett, back for year 11. Uh, Bill Frado, back for year 10. Uh, Jake Joyce and Dylan Strutman will return as player coaches. They mostly handle... Uh, bullpen jobs and things of that sort. Uh, Tony Medina is going to go back to being a data analyst as opposed to being the hitting coach like he was for last year as well. Um, so he's more handling the analytic end of things. Uh, Medina is. And then the only new face to the Schomburg staff 
is, and I assume full-time coach now, so retired player, full-time coach, Nick Otto, which is a familiar name for indie ball people as well as especially for Schaumburg people because he is the guy that's played the most games in team history. So he is, in a sense, Mr. Boomer because he's played there for five years, 17 to 22, and played the most games in franchise history, a fairly productive catcher in his own right. So he's now the hitting coach for the team. So the kind of core of everything is going to be Bennett, Prado, and uh, Otto. So we got a whole little uh, connection there at the top. Yeah, of yeah for sure. Um, I think uh, yeah, when Schomburg's clearly got something good going on there, um, yeah, they clearly got something good going. Uh, they've, again, a lot of familiar faces. On the staff, there's been a lot of continuity and not a lot of not a lot of change uh, in, in general. But uh, I mean, Nick Otto is a, uh, a certainly a, uh, a really nice addition. Uh, a guy who's sticking around, uh, sticking around Schomburg uh, for especially after his playing days, which is definitely cool. It, it's good to see that whole whole band getting back together, given the success that they've had. Uh, especially, I mean, Jimmy Bennett's been around there for a long time. So, uh, so just no real, no real big surprises, but combination of uh, a lot of coaches who have been around for a little bit and players who have played for them. So Nick Otto being a, uh, I guess a full-time hitting coach there is, is cool as well. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of familiar faces coming back for Schomburg and why not if they all want to. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It's a, it's a bunch of guys that know the system. They know how to operate as boomers. They've had the success, like you mentioned. I mean, winning a championship and then going back to another championship and back-to-back years. I mean, that's always a great sign of things. Likewise, when you read through the press release and basically learn that they didn't have a uh, a real true hitting coach or a true pitching coach last year, and they still did what they did, it makes it a little bit even more impressive, and it starts to explain why it took them a little bit longer to really hit their stride and get going. Uh, so now, having those needs filled, you kind of assume it's going to get a little bit better. Again, it's adding Otto is kind of like the only new face in the room really isn't even adding a new face in the room so guys that are coming back guys that are returning they're going to go oh okay so I pretty much know everyone on the coaching staff I know all the guys here and it's a really good and really nice environment to be in likewise for newer guys coming through you know you're familiar with a lot of these guys obviously I mean you know the same kind of people all you know everybody knows each other in independent ball uh but you know, yeah. if you're a newer guy coming in, you also got Nick Otto there, who's a younger guy. He's a guy that's, you know, probably a little bit more approachable, too. I mean, you don't really love going to a manager for everything. It's a bit of just a dynamic thing. But going to kind of an associate coach or a hitting coach like that and a guy that's not 10 months removed from playing ball, it's also uh, a positive, too, there. It's a nice uh, nice little system there. So I, I definitely like the hire of Otto. I like just returning pretty much the whole staff and I mean you don't mess with good results right nope sure don't uh especially especially in indie ball when uh consistent consistently good results are difficult to come by uh so there's clearly something going on right there there's no need to change it up and uh, especially with a lot of familiar faces on that coaching staff and adding familiar fa- adding even adding familiar faces on the coaching staff too absolutely so on that note We'll swing over to Joliet. We only have Joliet and one other one left on the coaching staff news, and then we can move on to uh, some some other items on the agenda there. Uh, so Joliet, they also finalized the coaching staff. Dan Schlereth will return for year two. He was one game under 500, so not a bad job at all for a debut manager, first year managing, good results there. Matt Shepardson will be back as the bench coach. Uh, for year three, he also gets the additional tighter of title he also gets the additional title of director of baseball operations so good for him Wes Anderson will be back for year three as well and Bryce Davis will join the team as the hitting coach he was last with the boomers in 2021 as their hitting coach as well there's some other hires for Joliet we'll go over in a second but those are the main uh bench positions for the slammers yeah, and, the, and this is a team in Joliet that I'm really interested to watch going into the year mm-hmm. because you know they were they, they were it was rough for a while, but then in 2022, uh, they get, it, they're not fully turned around yet, but you could clearly see that that this team is heading in the right direction under 
uh, under Daniel Schlereth, and uh, and I don't know whether I don't know whether they'll be a playoff team. Um, I I don't know, but I have to say that like it looks like this organization and this team, and the roster, is heading in the right direction. So I'm really interested to see what what Schlereth does uh, in year two as well. Uh, and then Shepardson as well, heading in director of baseball operations. It's a title that we're starting to see more and more of uh, within the ball teams because. Well, I mean, when the coaching staff has to um, is responsible for the whole roster, you kind of need uh, you kind of need uh, a lot of people on that as well. That it's more than it's more than just the manager. So, um, so yeah, I think this is a team that I'm really interested to watch going into into year two uh, under Schlereth as well, because it, is it a squad that looks like they're heading in the right direction? It definitely does. They surprised us a lot last year after a very long streak of just underperforming years. Uh, so I don't think anyone really expected them to get around 500, very close to being 500. They were in the fight for a very long time too, longer than they had any real business being in last year. So that's a, that's a nod to the coaching staff there. It's just very hard to kind of predict things year to year in independent ball because one year you could be, you know, a champion. The next year you could be at the very bottom as with any sport, but especially in a, in a type of sport where the roster turnover is so extreme every year. Uh, but that said, for a guy that was a first year manager, Slayer did very good. He did a very good job. The staff around him isn't like overly experienced with the team, even if they are experienced in general. So, you know, it feels like everyone's just trying to find their footing and has done so fairly successfully. So I'm going to be very interested to see now in year two, learn from that first year, has other guys that now you're more comfortable with in there. You have a, a new hitting coach in Bryce Davis, who was pretty decent for the Boomers, if I recall right, in 21. They hit fairly well, had some yeah. pretty decent bats too. So that could very well help swing the tie too. Like you said, I think playoffs may be, you know, a bit more suspect, a bit more borderline. We'll look into that a bit more, you know, two months from now when we have the full rosters out and we're able to kind of look things over and, and talk more big picture on it. But that said, you know, I wouldn't rule it out either just because, you know, anything's possible, especially in the West Division. The West Division, they'll come up with a couple of good teams. I mean, last year you saw it was Washington. The Wild Things is the preeminent team out there. The Boomers find a way in all the time. That means there's still an open spot. And it's anyone's guess for who's going to get it. So uh, I certainly am not willing to rule them out yet either. Uh, only only other hiring on the Joliet end is a name that people may be familiar with and may not be familiar with. We're going to mention him anyway. Eric Minchel also joins the team as a special assistant to baseball operations. Uh, he was with the Florence staff last year and is primarily an analytics guy. He kind of can do, uh, I believe he's with the nerd staff there, if people are familiar with that, with Florence, which is to say they, they, they took care of all the fancy stats. But Minchel's also a guy that has... You know, a quarter of a decade of coaching experience, too. He's a guy that knows kind of both ends of things. So, that said, it's an interesting hire to bring on. And it feels like we're getting more of an analytics push in independent baseball. And I'm not sure my thoughts on it. I'm not against it. But I'm also, like, the more I've done this show, the more I'm like, you know, there's a lot more than just numbers to this game. And you really start to see that more and more. To be honest with you, I think as far as when it comes to analytics in, in indie ball, I don't know if there's been enough of a sample to really determine anything yet. Yeah. Um, as far as, uh, and yeah, there's, de- I agree with you that there's definitely a trend and a wave, but I just, I don't know yet. And I mean, I probably personally, like a major league level, minor league level, huge, huge fan of analytics personally, but yeah. uh, I guess on, on an indie ball, in an indie ball sense, I don't know if there's been enough. Uh, enough of a sample really to determine how effective it is then. Uh, and so I, I guess we'll see on that. But, uh, but yeah, it, you're, I, I think you, you hit a spot on, Nick, that there definitely is a push, a push towards analytics in indie ball. And I guess, I don't know, maybe another year or two, uh, and if more teams try and hop on that bandwagon, we'll kind of see, well, wh- which teams are consistently at the top, which teams occur are consistently kind of middling or, or, or at the bottom. Um, and especially when, in a sense where pitching is getting harder to come by in any ball, no matter mm-hmm. what, I think, I think analytics also becomes more important because the, because there's just less guys out there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I, I do think that there really hasn't been enough of a sample yet to determine its effectiveness quite yet. Yeah, I would agree with that. The only thing I'm going to say is, and it's not even really particularly related, but it's, I wonder if we're going to start seeing more and more like analytic-based interns, because obviously it's becoming more and more of a trend. I think younger people are a bit more accepting of analytics, of using the numbers, of trying to find out all that data and get all that data. Plus, with Trackman systems going in pretty universally, you have a lot more Yakker tech and baseball cloud systems and partnerships going into effect. And you're able to gather that data a lot more easily. Getting a couple of analytic people in, you know, like as interns, guys that are, you know, they're big in the stats, they're big in that kind of thing. They're also baseball people and they're looking for, you know, an internship. I wouldn't be terribly stunned to see over like the next five to 10 years, the kind of interns doing that work are like the broadcasting interns and the early broadcasting hires for teams back in say the nineties and early aughts, you know, like maybe never reaching the height of, and this is, you know, I'm just going to use names that are kind of known, like the Jackals having Kevin Burkhart, and now obviously Kevin Burkhart called the Super Bowl. So maybe never getting like that kind of level of recognition, but getting hired by major league teams or things like that, I wouldn't be terribly stunned to see that either because it is kind of a proving ground. It is a testing front, and it's a great way to kind of get experience doing something that on a lot of other levels and, a, and at a lot of other places you wouldn't get that opportunity to because if you think of it in a sense of in you know kind of formal major league baseball minor leagues they probably have their own people handling like that because even analytics or advanced numbers on the single a level that's still you know millions of dollars of investment as to all right are we gonna is this prospect gonna work out are we gonna need to go get another guy do we need to go out and maybe contend for an international free agent that we otherwise wouldn't have really been in contention for because what we're seeing here is troubling. Do we not need to go after a guy we thought we were going to go after because the numbers here are positive? You know, there's a lot there. And when you can say, yeah, no, I did player evaluations on this level. These were the guys we looked at. X amount of them got transferred to a major league organization partially because of the way I read them. That's how we found them. You know, that kind of a thing. You know, it, there is a case to be made for here. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. How it relates to, uh, Joliet's staff, it really doesn't. But I do think <laughs> the, the analytic wave thing, I think that is something to watch out for. I think it's just an interesting piece to bring up. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, yeah, it's funny. It doesn't, it doesn't have a whole lot to do with Joliet. But yeah, I think, um, I think on a, on a larger, on a larger scale though, and, it's hard because those examples you brought up, Nick, it like, it all depends on the team. Like it yeah. all depends on the, like it, it all depends. Like, are they just using it as a, Hey, let's because personally how I, I think is the most effective way to look at it, uh, to look at uh, indie ball, indie ball guys from an analytics sense is not really saying I like a guy, but his, his, his data is bad. Therefore we're not going to sign him. More along the lines of, wow, these guys' numbers were dreadful in blank league, but this, like, this data was good. If we can make this tweak and that tweak, he, we, we think we could turn his numbers around. That's in general more how mm -hmm. I liked, how I like to look at it, opposed to, um, as opposed to letting it kind of control you and make, and completely make decisions. Uh, on its own based on data because I agree when you make decisions 1000% 1000% based on data especially when it comes to independent league baseball when there are so many other factors uh, at stay like it's you're not going to be successful um, and so but I do think it's it's always it's a good tool to say like especially the guy who like who may be going unsigned because he was bad in whatever league he was bad at but if you can make this sort of, if you can see something where you'd say like, hey, we, we could just make this small tweak or that small tweak or I don't know, like some guy like, wow, you're like, your, your fastball is getting pounded. Like, like, like you were a starting pitcher, your fastball got obliterated, but, uh, but, but your slider and changeup had a 45% whiff rate. 
uh, and but you just only threw it like tw- like twenty a combined like twenty five to thirty like twenty five percent of the time. All right, well we're gonna convert you to the bullpen, and you're gonna throw those you're gonna throw your slider and change up fifty five to sixty percent of the time, and we're gonna see if you can get outs. And if you don't, we cut you, whatever. But yeah. uh, but it, it's I think more on the adjustments aspect is the way it should be used. I, I know mm. this is a I completely off the rails topic from from Juliet, but something that I something that I, I do like I, I do like talking about yeah. is just that because uh, there because I mean, there are there are certain people out there uh, like you know if if you're on Twitter and baseball Twitter consistently you see these people who are talking about saying like this player is good because of like the these specific advanced metrics no you are good if you get outs because that is how you win baseball games yeah uh but there's ways that if like if if your data is good or this stat is good you can try and make tweaks in order to get outs but at the end of the day the goal is to get outs i don't care what your spin rate is if you can't find the zone i don't care uh but but like certain things with the pitch usage and stuff like that um that or maybe even teaching or this like arm slot could work better with uh your arm slot and uh and this spin rate and this carry to it can uh if we teach you a cutter we think it could be effective so stuff like this little stuff like that but not wholeheartedly making decisions because i think teams like that i think those are the teams um that uh, that do not have success with that yeah, I mean, it really comes down to the difference here between it being used as a diagnostic tool versus a transactional tool. If you're using it diagnostically, it's like you said, it's more or less looking at the numbers here and saying there's something here we can go ahead and make this guy. We have to change him a little bit, but we can make him into a productive player for this team. We can say, all right, based off of what we see here, try doing this or try doing that. It may work out better. We want to see that. Versus, all right, you got bad numbers here bad advanced numbers we're not even going to bother trying cut and move them along we don't even want to bring them in the only time it really works transactionally at least at the independent level is when you do projections kind of like how ryan does if exactly. people knows where it's like yeah. you take say all right you hit x in the pioneer league if we scale that up to the frontier league it drops by you know however many points american however many points atlantic however many points if you try doing it like that then it works out a bit better of course it comes down to how good your model is and you can only find out how good your model is based off of how well the player performs. yeah exactly off the sample and then how the player actually performs and then there's just parts of it you can't really account for because at the end of the day it's still people playing the game so they're still going to have human problems off the field that are going to affect on the field you know if someone's having a hard time in life that's probably going to leak over in between the lines if somebody's or 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 there's an example of like a guy thinking that like for example they're too good to be playing indie ball and therefore the and therefore and then they start struggling because they think they're too good for indie ball well can't account for that exactly there's a lot of elements that go into it not to mention too it could just be you're happier playing in one place versus another. Like that's just another thing too. That or For sure. just the way your coach uses you, the way that the room interacts. There's a lot of just human elements that leak over. That or you're just having a rough patch. Sometimes things just happen. And that's something that's hard to account for. And you're right, there are a lot of people online that seem to treat like advanced numbers like we'll just use spin rate or exit velo or something like that fairly you know basic one easy enough to keep track of they'll treat that as you know like old heads will treat a great rookie year you know like the guy that comes out of the gate hits like 295 with 30 home runs or has like a 235 era in the rookie year and it's like okay look we know he can do it so we got to give him another five years to prove that he can keep doing it even if they just play god awful the next five years after that rookie year you see some people online they're like but his spin rate is just so good. You can't cut him. He's and had been like, unlucky for five years, Nick. You don't understand. Exactly. It's like that. It's like, look, just because he keeps getting hit around, the numbers say he should be doing better. It's like, great. But see, the numbers on that big-ass board that's in center field that says 8 nothing, bottom one, zero outs, that board means a little bit more to me because at the end of the day, they're not going to put his spin rate up and then have 
congratulations on winning the World Series or congratulations on winning whatever league championship. Yeah. That's or, not how or, it works. Or, or like, or like some, some people act like baseball is being, is played with a judge based on a formula of, uh, of exit below and launch angle. And if yeah. it hits like this certain end of the formula, congratulations, you hit a double. Exactly. It's like, this is not boxing where it's like, we're going to go ahead and send this to decision to a panel of people going, you know what? Despite what the runs say, this team played better. And according to the metrics, it backs it up. So congratulations for giving you the win. It's like, that's not how this works. That's, that's not how sports works. Ha- that happens some games. Yeah. Like it happens. Like yeah. you have, you have unlucky games. It's baseball, but still like it over like a large sample, it doesn't, it evens out. Exactly. That, and we'll move on to get through the last coaching staff announcement in just one second. But the only thing I have left to add, and this is more prevalent in hockey Twitter than baseball Twitter. But I'm so goddamn tired of seeing cards with analytics on it. You know, the one that puts the player's picture up. Yeah, and with the, like the sliders like compared to based on average or something. Yeah. The, for the hockey. Average, yeah. yeah, for hockey it's worse because you get the little boxes with blue or red depending on how good or bad the player is. And people treat that as gospel and it's like, okay, I hate to be this guy that's the eye test guy, but like you can't say a player is bad just by what the card says. Because the card isn't a true reflection of the player. You have to watch the player game by game and judge them off of that. It's like, like the best example was there was, oh, uh, who's the analytics guy for the athletic? For hockey? Yeah, it's, uh. I don't know his name. It's Dom something. I, I don't recall his last name. But anyway, so he, his cards I see pushed around a lot. And he did one for all the Rangers defensemen. And this is the one of the tangents we mentioned earlier in the show. But we're going to go for it. And it said, like, Truba was a bad defenseman. Keandre Miller was a bad defenseman. Braden Schneider was a below-average defenseman, as well as Ryan Lindgren. And I was like, this is just completely wrong. It just straight up is wrong. <laughs> like, yeah, Truba was struggling at that point, because I think it was about December or so, right before the streak happened. But I was like... You're going to sit here and tell me that Keandre Miller is, like, not even a bottom-pairing defenseman? That's just wrong. Like, yeah, he struggles a little bit at times, but the dude is quite clearly still a top-four defenseman in the National Hockey League. Anyone watching a game can tell you this. Like, a lot of times, you see all that, and then it became, you just see the cards getting passed around. And it's just, it, it boggles my mind. It's like, okay... First off, especially when it comes to hockey, it's really hard to do analytics because analytics are about isolating one individual's performance. And then there's team analytics that judge the team as a whole. But when we're trying to analyze one individual player's performance in a sport that's free-flowing with constant action, it's really hard to do that, especially when you have just a bunch of other factors involved in the game. So... It doesn't really work great, especially if we're trying to do shit like turnover rates and whatnot, where that is just completely subjective to the score. So we're still using subjective, you know, general data to come up with advanced data. It doesn't really work well for sports that aren't really kind of turn-based like baseball. Baseball works really well because you can isolate everything. You could say the pitcher threw this particular type of pitch in this particular situation to this type of batter. You have just the data set set up before the event even occurs. And then when the event occurs, it's all isolated because it normally doesn't really matter what the other guys are doing. The only thing that matters is the dude that's fielding the ball. And if you got to throw it to a base, whoever is, you know, receiving the ball at that base. Those are the only two people that really matter for really in particular analytic data set. That and the batter going to the back. You can analyze everything so much easier than in a free-flowing sport, like, say, a basketball, like, say, a hockey. Those are just tougher sports to gather for because there's just so many other little factors that go into play just because there's always another four to nine guys involved in the play at any given time that affect how that data is captured. So that's why... Like, when I see people post cards of anything, it bothers the hell out of me. Because it's just such an oversimplification of a game that is extremely complex and hard to understand. 
Yeah. Well, I, I we could have an analytics episode one day. We could we could bring Ryan on. We could have a whole we could whole have a whole analytics and indie ball episode. We should do that. I already got the like title for that. You could go like indie ball by the numbers. That'd be a decent yeah. title too. Someone's gonna steal it on me now, but you know, <laughs> at least we'll know who stole it then. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I suppose we should get to the last piece of uh, staffing news, and then get to the other thing, and then get to the recap here. That's probably important. So. Uh, on that note, uh, Tri-City, they finalized their staff. Uh, Pete and Kavili and his nephew, Tom, they returned for 2023. Same positions and everything. But the big addition here is a name that a lot of people are going to be familiar with, and that is Brooks Carey gets added as a pitching coach. He has experience doing that in the past, but he most recently was the manager of the New Jersey Jackals. Last four years, he held that title, won a championship in 2019, the last Can-Am League championship, in fact. And he has well, two decades worth of experience. We don't really need to keep diving into Brooks Carey's resume. It speaks for itself. And seemingly everyone that, you know, has had Brooks as a coach has loved the dude. Seemingly everyone that's worked with him has loves the dude. So you really have a, a staff full of really kind of dedicated guys, a lot of experience on that staff. And I, I'd be willing to say a lot of players coaches on that staff too. So it seems like Tri-City is kind of pulling out all the stops here for 23. They're dead set on winning a title, and you love to see that. I mean, man, I, they at, at some point, I mean, this has got to be it for Tri-City. Like, yeah. I mean, they're, you, you're saying it, you said it right, Nick. Like, they're literally pulling out all the stops possible to try and get this team to the playoffs and winning a championship. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, adding Brooks, I mean, the amount of experience with this staff is unbelievable. Uh, so to have a Pete and Cavillia, Brooks Carey combination, uh, guys that know indie ball so, so, so well, uh, I think that there's, uh, there, there's, there's no excuses now. I'll just, I'll just put it that way. Uh, that it's, that it's got a turn for them. Um, but yeah, that's, there's not, if you're, if you're a guy that wants to get back into affiliated ball, I mean, there's not, uh, better staff really that can help you out. Uh, or certainly among the, the staff you have to put up there with anybody, with Pete and Cavillia and Brooks Carey uh, at the top as well. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, there's just so much, like we keep mentioning experience here, but these are guys that have won. These are guys with track records that are positive. And just adding all of that onto a staff is extremely helpful. Getting a guy that knows pitchers like Brooks is, again, a great thing to have. And... I'll be interested to see if we have a bunch of former Jackal people head up north. We know that uh, Tri-City likes adding former minors between Cito Colfer and now Trey Hare, two great players that they have added on. It'll be interesting to see what this Tri-City Valley Cats uh, team looks like here because I, I could see this being a selling point for a lot of guys too to go up to Tri-City if they can. And, uh, I mean, if you're a guy like, say, you know, a Dalton Combs or something, if you could find your way up there, I mean, that's not a terrible situation to find yourself in, right? You may have to split some time with Paven Parks and play a different position, but that would certainly add to everything here. And I do wonder, too, because this is just kind of a, an out-there thought. I'm sure if Pete wants to be back, he'll be back uh, for a long time in Tri-City. But this is the last year of Pete's contract in Tri-City. So I almost wonder if it's like, okay, after this year, I'm kind of done here. And then it's, okay, Brooks, you move up to the manager spot. Because it does feel like, okay, you got two guys that are manager level here. Both guys are great at their job. going to be fantastic managers. They've proven that. I do wonder if it's kind of like, okay, let's just set up here in case we don't have a plan for next year. We have Brooks here. We could just kind of like, okay, go manage. That's interesting. That's interesting. And I, I wonder, because I don't know. I mean... It makes sense, but at the same time, you really don't have any need to get rid of Pete unless he just doesn't want to be there. But he seems pretty happy there, so I, I guess I guess you just don't know like what what Pete's like ideas and thoughts are and his plans are. I mean, if this was just like a three year plan for him, maybe um, mm. could de- that could definitely be uh, that could definitely be a thing. And but I don't know; it's just hard without without knowing specifically. It's an interesting thought, though. It's a, it's a fascinating theory. I don't know. Yeah, it's a rabbit hole that's worth looking at. So, yeah, I think so, too. But, yeah, we'll leave it there for now, and uh, we'll revisit it undoubtedly come the fall. But, 
yeah, for now we have uh, a couple other things we got to get to, and we're going to keep moving on with the last piece of news before our Pioneer League South review, and that is there's a new voice in Winnipeg. I've, obviously, we know that uh, Steve Schuster left to work with the Mets, so that kind of opened up a, uh, well, a broadcasting role for the Gold Eyes, and that has now been filled. Doug Greenwald will fill in now for the Gold Eyes as the play-by-play man. He spent the past 20 years with the Fresno's Grizzlies. Uh, for the most part, they were in AAA, but then they got demoted down to uh, single-A ball uh, during the whole realignment thing of minor league baseball. And uh, you'll probably know his name because his dad was a major league broadcaster for several teams uh, for 18 long years. So it seems like they're bringing a pretty quality voice here for the Gold Eyes to do all the broadcasting work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a guy who's uh, a guy who spent um, spent twenty years with the with the Fresno Grizzlies. I mean, a guy who's been uh, in the in the biggest spots in minor league baseball. It seems like a it seems like a great hire and a guy who's who's uh, really done it all in minor league baseball. Uh, and it's it's tough with uh, I mean, because it's tough to fill the role of Steve Schuster because he's done because he's done so much. But I think you know. Greenwald seems like a, a guy who can who can step into that role as well. I mean, a, a guy who's had so much experience. Uh, so yeah, definitely sounds definitely sounds exciting and uh, and and a pretty solid hire. It definitely does. I don't know how much more I have to really add on it, but he's a guy. I mean, he had two decades worth of experience. He comes from you know even more experience. I'll be interested to see what it is. I haven't listened to any of his calls yet, so I'll be interested to see how it goes. And, you know, maybe now it incentivizes me for that first game when they play Gary and, you know, you have, uh, uh, oh, I'm blanking on it. Oh, Greg Taggart. When you have Greg Taggart go back yeah. to Gary, now I'm incentivized to listen to the Winnipeg broadcast over the Gary broadcast, perhaps. So it'll be interested to see how that all, uh, how that goes and how good of a job he does. But it seems like a good hire on paper. So. I can't complain about that. Uh, we'll move on now to the Pioneer League South review. This should be fairly quick. We only got, what, five teams to go through. And to be honest with you, there's only a couple of them that are really worth uh, spending a lot of time on. So we'll see how long it takes. But uh, with that said, we are off and running with our Pioneer League review. If you want, 168 should be the episode. You can go back and listen to that. Uh, it's only about 14 minutes for the South Division, so you can listen to all of that. We already went through our predictions uh, that we made on that episode for the Pioneer League in 22 last week. Um, we both have Ogden coming out of this half, so we'll kind of spare you the suspense on that end. But uh, we're going in the same order we discussed them in, so it's going to be Boise to Grand Junction to Northern Colorado to Ogden, then finishing with Rocky Mountain. So with all that said, let's get started in Boise. They were 50 and 47 in 21. They uh, We liked... Met Dallas an awful lot. We thought there were some pitchers. We didn't really have any strong opinions on them. And well, it wasn't a good year for the Hawks as they went 30 and 66, missing the playoffs. Um, is it safe to say when you only win 30 out of 96 games that things didn't go right? I think that's pretty safe to say, yes. Do you have any other strong opinions to give about the Boise Hawks in 2022? They were not good. Any positive <laughs> things to take away? No. <laughs> all right then. I mean, I mean, yeah. So, in all seriousness, yeah, yeah. Uh, really not good year at all. Huh. And uh, and they they have a new staff in there now, right? I uh, think they do. I honestly don't know. We probably covered it like three weeks ago, and I'm just blanking on it. But yeah, same. But anyway, uh, That's the last yeah, stuff we cover. <laughs> 1366, it was bad. They got completely beat up on by the, by the top teams. Their offense was second worst in the league. Um, as well as uh, pitching wasn't good either. Uh, yeah, just, I, I don't know how much there is to say about it. Just they, they won, they were 30 and 66 disastrous year and they, they need to do, they need to have a much better year. Uh, much better year coming up to try and climb up these standings. And I think when uh, a team like Rocky Mountain finishes uh, finishes like eight and a half games clear of you, uh, and Rocky Mountain had a partnership for the first like half of the year, yeah. like that kind of killed their record, and you still finish like eight and a half games behind them, it was bad. <laughs> 
Yeah. It was really bad. You make a lot of really good points there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, hell, they only did about eight games better than Rocky Mountain did with a full partnership the year prior, too. So, uh, not a great year for Boise. Nothing to really be said to have gone right when you are 30 and 66. So, on that front, we'll switch to a different team where a lot of stuff went right in Grand Junction. They were 52 and 43 and 21. They bring in Bobby Jenks, a guy we really, really liked. We also spent a lot of time in our review talking about Ari Kaufman and how he is both somehow a Can-Am League and Pioneer League uh, journeyman. Uh, we didn't really talk too much about the team, though, but we said they were above average. And I think they did a little bit better than above average this past year, going 62-33, and 33, winning the championship over Missoula. I think that's good enough to qualify as an upset. And overall, the then Grand Junction Rockies, but now Grand Junction Jackalopes uh, have a lot to like about 2022. Yeah, just an awesome year for uh, for for Grand Junction in general. Um, and you know they're pitching again relative to the to the rest of the league. Uh, the relative to the rest of the league was solid. Their offense, uh, their offense was good too. Uh, and you know they 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 took advantage certainly. Of the bad division you're in, I think a lot of times you, uh, and it doesn't matter like what league of baseball you're talking about. So much of your record comes down to what you do against the the bottom feeders of your division, right? And so, yeah. uh, and obviously Grand Junction really took care of business in those in those games. Uh, big reason why they ended up uh, they ended up winning the division quite comfortably. Uh, they finished the season. Uh, on, they finished the season on a great run, and uh, yeah, I mean, great, just an amazing year for for Grand Junction. Uh, and now they get to be named the Jackalopes. So that's just you can't get much better than that. Yeah, I mean, that's really the true prize here. Is now you get to be the Jackalopes. You get to have a exactly. great logo, great branding, and uh, you just you can't really beat that because that's really a uh, winning. At the end of the day, but yeah, fantastic year. And really, they shine in the postseason. They're clearly the second best regular season team, or the best, depending on how you want to look at it. They did significantly better in the second half than the first half. Uh, but even still, a lot to like from uh, Grand Junction's past year. Can't quite be said about uh, and fellow in-state team in Northern Colorado did not play in 21. Uh, we, as we said, they had a couple of players, not a good team. They missed the postseason. They were 35 and 56. So not exactly what you'd like to see out of this team. I mean, they didn't even reach the, the full 96 game threshold. Looks like five, uh, five did not plays this year. So not really sure what we can make of this team outside of they didn't do great. Uh, they're going to be moving into a new ballpark or if they haven't already there, uh, was it like future legends complex, something like that. So they have oh, that going yeah. for them. But, um, outside of that, as far as on the field's concerned, they didn't really, uh, they didn't really do much. They did not. Well, they did a lot of things and not a lot of them were good. Uh, they, yeah, pitching was terrible. Um, uh, the, they were the worst offense in the league. Honestly, they, they might be fortunate that they were only uh, 35 and 56 because mm-hmm. honestly, honestly could have been worse. Uh, statistically, they were right down. They were right down there with, with Boise uh, despite finishing like eight and a half games ahead of them. But I, I have to say though, like it, it was just a really not so good year. They struggled against the, the top teams in the division uh, specifically, specifically teams like Grand Junction, uh, Ogden, of course, is well thrown in there, but yeah, just Northern Colorado was really, was another rough season, uh, or, or, well, just, it was a rough season, and Boise, uh, uh, Boise was worse, but Northern Colorado definitely had their struggles in this year as well, and a division that was very top heavy. Yeah, I would say that's a very fair way of putting it. Um, I don't have their numbers in front of me, so I can't say how bad they were batting or pitching or just in general here. But I, I will say this much. I, you don't have a lot of positives when you don't get to the 40 win mark. And, uh, they seem like one of those teams that Grand Junction, the next team we're going to talk about really took advantage of. So, um, 
Yeah, that's really all there is to say there. And we'll switch over to that other team in the Ogden Raptors, a team that we both really liked coming into this year. Uh, they were 54 and 42 in 21. They slightly regressed 51 and 43 in 22. We said they were one of the better teams. We liked their pitching staff a lot. And even when we were listing off some of the names they had on this team, I was like, I see why we really liked them. Like Dakota Connors was there. Jordan Rathbone was there. These were guys that had like pretty solid you know, American Association seasons not that long ago, and even in 22 a little bit. So them doing well for Ogden seemed to be pretty safe of a bet, but they got bounced in round one. Admittedly, I think it was a little bit of an upset with Grand Junction. Uh, but even still, I, I wouldn't quite call it a bad year. Maybe a little disappointing, but not a bad year from Ogden. No, not bad. Uh, I think... I don't know if I'd call them underachieving either, but like it was, it was fine. Uh, it was, I think, probably a little. They probably would have hoped for a little bit, uh, um, a little bit better of a season. I mean, their offense was quite good. Uh, below just Missoula and, and Idaho Falls, uh, they led the led the league in batting average. So the the offense the offense was very good. Pitching was about mediocre, um, maybe a touch above average when compared to the rest in the league. Uh, you could make the argument, I think, that they're, they probably should have been a little bit better than eight games over, statistically. Uh, but yeah, I think, like, uh, they, they had a lot of talent on that team, obviously, and I definitely wouldn't call it a, a bad year at all, but, uh, you know, I, I think that, I think there's left some to be desired. I think this is the way I would put it. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think they make it to a championship game. You know, championship series, then it's a little bit less disappointing, right? Like, then it's like, all right, well, you know, you lived up to exactly. it. Exactly. Even though I think, let me go back, because I had everything written down from last week. Yeah, you had Billings versus Ogden with Ogden winning the final, and I had Idaho Falls versus Ogden with Idaho Falls winning the final. So I guess, yeah, that would have been a lot more in line with the expectation. So uh, even still, though, not a bad year, all in all. Uh, let's go to the final team, though. Let's get this uh, whole recap series, I guess, wrapped up with the Rocky Mountain Vibes 22-73-21. and 73 and 21. They improved significantly, though. 37-56-22. Uh, and 56 in 22. Missed the postseason, but despite being a bad team overall, which the only two guys we mentioned was Miguel Tejada's son and Ulysses Cantu, which Ulysses Cantu wound up being not only a fantastic name, but a pretty good player too, so I'm really happy about that. And uh, we just said they were a bad team overall, but the real victory is getting rid of this partnership with uh, Monclova Aceros. Uh, that is really the the victory here. Absolutely. Uh, just you've never seen a. I again have not, still have not seen a, an example of an indie ball team partnering with a a, a foreign league uh, and having it work. I haven't seen it happen. Uh, in terms in terms of wins and losses, however, they got rid of it, and the timing of them getting rid of it was hilarious because of how bad they were. They're just like, like screw it, we're done. Yeah. Uh, and I think that uh, yeah, so they they got better towards the end of the season when they got rid of the the, the partnership with with Monclova. Shocking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we we definitely expected worse from them. But I think just because they, uh, I think just because they got rid of that partnership, they, they get, honestly, 37 to 56, they get a W for me for the year. That's the thing. Like they, they did better than they were last year. They got rid of the, the partnership thing, which like you mentioned, never really goes well for the indie ball team. And they still had a couple of decent players that they could possibly build around. So, you know, overall, all things considered, I think it's a pretty solid basis here. And, you know, I would agree. if I was like a Frontier League team, I'd be interested in Ulysses Cantu personally. I think he could add something to a Frontier League team. Maybe that's not this year because maybe Rocky Mountain wants him back. Maybe he wants to go back there. But eventually once he kind of ages out on the experience level, if I'm a Frontier League team or perhaps even an American or Atlantic League team, I'm looking at it. I'm really looking at it. I think he's a pretty solid ball player. But yeah, overall... Uh, the victories came more or less off the field for Rocky Mountain. On the field, it wasn't good, but they weren't supposed to be good, so they lived up to that expectation. So, yeah, overall, I think that just about does it for our 
uh, Pioneer League review. We did this north, now the south is done, and that's all there really is to it. So, um, there you go. Yeah, the only thing we really had left was, and this is on me for not putting in the notes, there was an, another addition to the 25th anniversary team for the Atlantic League, uh, Jim Ed Warden. I don't have anything written down here, and we just were kind of like, oh, you know, we'll just wait till next week, and we'll give it the full due next week so we don't have to tack it on to the end. Um, long and short is probably the best reliever in Blue Crab history. Guy won, I think, three postseason in, postseason, uh, all-stars and a postseason, and a regular season all-star as well. Second yeah. all-time in save. So he's a very deserving guy. We'll give him more of his due next week when we get that, go over whoever they announce next week and him as well. We'll make a bigger thing out of it. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have someone also for the show next week as well, too. But, uh, for sure. Yep. So that's where we're at. We'll talk about, uh, Warden next week. We'll talk about whatever comes up in the news next week, and hopefully we'll have somebody on the show as well. Who knows? Maybe we'll do an analytics episode too. We, we don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we, we always figure it out as we go along, and normally it works out well. So hopefully it worked out well this week. But um, I think it's time for plugs, right? Sounds good to me. Yeah, right. So uh, if you want to find the show, you can do so wherever you find podcasts. Uh, Tune in, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Podbean, you know, all of them. You go ahead, you can subscribe on those platforms, and only you can review too, so we'd appreciate you doing such. Uh, likewise, uh, if you want to find the show on Twitter, you can do so at IndieBallPod. We post a bunch of cool and fun stuff there, as well as on both social medias, which would be the Instagram uh, uh, at IndieBallReport. Both of those, uh, you can find our tryout list on the website, IndieBallReport.com. We Put together a nice list of all the open tryouts and some scouting leagues that if you're a player looking to get an opportunity for 23, head over there, take a look at that. There's a bunch of resources for you there, links to the tryouts, everything there. As more information, as more tryouts come out, we're going to update that. We're going to keep it updated. So you definitely want to go ahead and use the links that we provided there. Use that website to kind of keep up to date with everything and it, it gives you a pretty general overview of your odds, I would say. You know, just generally, okay, this league is this, this is what they're about, this team is this, this is what they're about, these are the results from the tryouts. It's a pretty good starting point, it's a jumping off point. Obviously, look into each of the tryouts a bit more yourself, but, you know, it's a good place to get started. That's its goal. So, that's on the website, IndieBallReport.com, uh, IndieBallReport on Instagram, ALPB underscore news on Instagram, IndieBallPod on Twitter, that's all the plugs there so uh that said do we have anything else left to add this week hmm well posture upset ruckers yeah that was kind of odd that's kind of odd it was it was an interesting game wasn't it imagine calling that game on say radio <laughs> imagine imagine the biggest ruckers fan in the history of the history of sports calling uh broadcasting for the other team uh, in, in a big upset, the NIT. That was, uh, especially at, like, imagine if it was at Rutgers Arena. You know, what, what do yeah. they call it? Jersey Mike's Arena? No, they don't call it that. Are you uh, sure? Because that's on the side of the building. They call it the rack. Um, <laughs> and I believe they're not, Nick. Fun fact, and this is the only, uh, this, this is the only important point I'll bring up about it. Although yeah. the game was very fun. Uh, and at the end of the day, the, the win means a lot more to Hofstra than the loss means to Rutgers at the end of the day. Hmm. Uh, because, you know, I mean, that's, the game changing for Hofstra, and now Hofstra gets a home game against Cincinnati on set uh, on Saturday, or gets today when this episode comes out. Yeah. So, uh, so we'll see how that goes, and then maybe I get a trip to Col- to Boulder, Colorado. We'll oh. have to see. Uh, so if, if well, Hofstra's got to win first, but could be heading out to heading out to Boulder, Colorado, which could be fun. Oh. Uh, but I, I will say, um, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> I gotta say, give me a second. Damn it! Oh wait, hold on. I gotta think about this. I gotta what, think what? it over. Hold on. Oh, hold on. This is great. I'm not cutting this either. I'm leaving this. Damn it! <laughs> uh, all right, you know what? Screw it. I forget. I don't remember anymore. Oh, uh, you're gonna tell me later, and then I'm gonna add it in. But yeah, I don't. I, I don't. Rem- I, I if I remember, I'll say it. All right. But, uh, yeah, as far as that call goes, if you want to hear it, I'm going to link it because there is a link to the end of game call. I'm going to toss that in the script, in the, uh, in the links for the show, in the show notes. So check that out. Because honestly, I've got to say genuinely, it was a good call for the end there. 
Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Because I was watching the Ranger game, and I was just like, oh, let me check to see how Rutgers and Hofstra's going. Because I was like, I don't really know. I could see Rutgers losing. And I checked. I was like, huh. Hofstra's within four. It's two minutes to play. Huh. How about that? Yeah. And then I like kept refreshing. I was like, huh. Under uh, under 30 seconds, and this game's tied. Hmm. That's interesting. Hofstra had, to, Hofstra had to play a perfect offensive game to win the game, and they did. Yeah. What was impressive, though, was, and I know this is really enthralling to people, but like Estrada have fouled out, right? So they Seven did that, minutes to go. And they managed to make do for basically the last half of the game, like last quarter of the game, rather, without their best player. <laughs> Insane. It was like the conference player of the year two years in a row. Yeah. It, it was just... It, I was so win. I could not believe that that it, I could not believe that that they came back and won that game. Yeah, that's a team effort win. I mean, like that's a really good win. And like, really good. honestly, like I'm I hate to get ahead of it because I don't want to jinx it, but I look at the path and it's like there's really only like say two or three really tough games where I'm like I don't know if they could pull that out, but. You know, you get to the final four in Vegas. I don't know. They, like they anything can Cincinnati happen. at home. Yeah. You have, that's the thing, home court matters here. Yes. It really matters. So, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Although I know your true love, the brotherhood, they kicked the crap out of Oral Roberts a couple days ago. They're going to go ahead and probably do that to the volunteers of Tennessee again. And you're you're looking forward to that because I know at, at heart, you know, you bleed blue. I know. Yeah. We'll go with that. We went over this last year as well established. We'll go with we that. Know. Yeah. So, but we know sure. deep down it's it's all about Durham. Bull City. But, but yeah, that's all I really got to add. I, I got my piece in there. All that said, nothing left to add. You know the drill. Until next time, don't forget to play ball. Well.